Welcome in to the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on this Thursday edition of the show. It's our last one before we record one from Husky Stadium Saturday evening. This is our preview and our bold predictions and our game picks podcast. Um, it's been a whirl week because there's been a lot of news. Uh, there's We're going to start with injuries here. Um, Dorless was not at practice on Tuesday when we were there. I have not been at practice Wednesday. You guys had a report up. What's the latest with Dorless? What's the latest with Justin Jacobs? Uh, any other interesting items from a note from an injury standpoint after Wednesday's practice? It's, uh, Dorless, I don't think, was ever injured, it seems. At least that's kind that's of the, the tenor coming out of, of uh, Oregon's camp, or at least uh, sort of what we picked up on. He was available uh, for practice on Wednesday. He actually turned and, and gave us kind of a little bit of a laugh as he walked by to sort of acknowledge that, yeah, I might not have been here yesterday, but but I'll be available. Um, yeah, Justin Jacobs, same old. He took part in the, the Mamba drill, which is a full contact one-on-one rep against Jaden Lamar. So like, just like we talked about Tuesday, it looks like he's he's getting close to being able to play. Um, now, what's the company line coming down from the top from Coach Lanning as of Wednesday? Uh, didn't seem too thrilled to talk about injuries. I don't think we're surprised about that. <laughs> um, it was uh, quite the encounter there to start the interview session. But uh, Jacobs, he said, we'll see. Uh, and then regarding Dorless, he acknowledged that he would be good and also said we were fake news and that we might not have practice access anymore. So it was a, it was a thrilling beginning to the interview <laughs> session that uh, did not go great. So, um, yeah, there's the latest on the injury news. Am I missing anything, Jared? Uh, Brian Addison has been a full participant this oh, week. Oh, yes. Uh, he sure. obviously did not play against Stanford. Uh, I think that's pretty important. Popo Amavai is also a full participant this week. Uh Played four or five snaps against Stanford and then uh, did not play the rest of the game. And lastly, I think Kyrie Jackson is a name to mention because he's very important to this game. So he's been practicing this entire week. I think Dan uh, talked about it in the bye week on Wednesday that he was practicing last week. Again, he's practicing this week. Uh, full participant. Um, I don't think that there's anything else that's major. Um Guys, like we, we didn't see Justice Lowe at practice, uh, right. stuff like that, where it's more peripheral players. Um, I don't know. Uh, Josh Delgado is a full participant and is, is working with the scout team and got a good uh, you know compliment from Dan Lanning on Wednesday, saying that he's done a good job providing scout looks. Um, but other than that, uh, I, I think uh, everybody else that we expect to play looks like they're expected to play. Um, but I guess we'll absolutely know for sure when Saturday at 1230 comes around. Just in general. The Kyrie Jackson once. Okay. Oh, I was just going to say just in general. I think the team's like about as healthy as it could be is, is, is all I was yeah. going to say. Yeah. And I was going to say getting Jackson back is important because it sounds like according to reports up in Seattle, all three of Washington's big receivers are going to be playing in this game. Um, yep. McMillan hadn't been playing the last couple of weeks due to injury. Um, but he sounds like he will play. Uh, so you need all hands on deck. So getting Jackson back, getting Brian Addison back uh, is going to be critical um, for this game. But you're right, Eric. Like, you knock on wood here. Like, it's middle of October, and Oregon has one major injury, and it's Noah Winnington. And uh, that, that's – pretty unique uh, you usually start seeing guys dip whether it's 
for injuries that are season ending or six, seven week type stuff. And we just haven't seen that from Oregon. Uh, so they should go into this one basically at full capacity, which is going to be needed. Um, I mean, do we want to transition right over to, to this game well, of just things we're looking at? I, I just wanted to, on the no Whittington front, we did see him this week at practice. I won't go into maybe the apparatus he was wearing, but as you would expect, he's on crutches. And But good to see him around the team again after what was obviously a significant enough injury to end his season. Right. That's good. Um, is this the biggest game? I think it is the biggest game in this series history. Two top 10 teams, two Heisman contenders, you know, the, the winner of this game, if they play well, um, I mean, should be at minimum co-favorites to win the Heisman. Um, if you win this game, you're probably going to be in a position to be in the top five. I don't care what happens above you. Uh, the team's, you're playing a legit team. Um, you've got the inside track for the, the a spot in Vegas in the in the toughest league that the, the year the league has been uh, in quite some time. Um, and there's a sense of like true rivalry now where both teams are good, where this rivalry has been dominated in most of its history with one team being good and the other one not. Um, I, I think this is the biggest game this series has ever had. At least in the modern era of football, you know, back to the eighties. And even back then, though, I don't think Oregon was ever like no good enough to really be in these sort of situations. So yeah, I I think so, right? I mean, I, and I I did go kind of deep dive back through the last ten meetings here. You can find that story up on DuckTerritory.com. Um, there hasn't really been a game quite like this one where both teams are obviously the first top ten. Uh, time both teams have been top 10 teams but there really also hasn't been a game like this where you look at it and go both teams feel like really really high on their seasons things are going really great there's a sense of like if we win this game everything's on the table for both teams like it's a little bit of a unique situation that way um, even going back to the last 10 years or so and, and obviously Oregon had that dominant streak of, of 12 straight Washington had decades of dominance but ever since kind of the Justin Herbert era started there, obviously 2016 was not a competitive game. The year later, he gets injured. That wasn't a competitive game. But from like 18, 19, 20 and on, like these two games have been really competitive, but never really within the same. Um, I guess never everything's not been on the table the way it is this year, even in those years. And, and the one year where maybe it would have been, obviously not with, with that, the Heisman stuff was the COVID year. Where the game got canceled that wouldn't have been two top 10 teams but the winner of that game was automatically going to go into the conference championship back then um that game never got played so yeah i think there's a really strong case for that matt and i'm just excited that this is a game where a something josh pate said on the podcast that that i agree with which is great both teams have a bye week coming in gives both teams mm -hmm. full opportunity to prepare there's no advantage one way advantage another way um both teams get an opportunity to get fully healthy, which is important. Give a, give a couple extra days for, for players like Kyrie, like we mentioned, to get healthy, or Brian Addison or Popo for Oregon, and then for Jalen McMillan and some of the other guys on, on Washington. So I think I love the fact that you're coming into this, and there shouldn't be really any excuses for either side. Like, win or lose, like this is basically the teams they have. And you can maybe argue later in the season, oh, we hadn't developed but at that point. We were only five games in. But – like these are teams are, are basically coming in firing on all cylinders. And, and I think what we're going to get on Saturday is a good representation of, of both teams. Yeah, this is talent versus talent. Um, whether or not this is 
the biggest matchup in their respective programs history. I'm not sure. It certainly feels like that from a from a broad perspective. Uh, this is the first time both teams have been top ten when they played each other. Um, but I think it's also just a biggest the biggest matchup from a incredibly broad standpoint because this is the end of the Pac-12. They're no longer going to be Pac-12 opponents when they go into next season. So not only do you get that added little sentiment to this game, but you also um, get the get the perks of like, wow, this is what it's going to be like next year in the Big Ten. And hopefully both of these teams, if you're a fan of either team, you're telling yourself like, wow, I hope that this is the the, the standard for both of our programs that every year in the Big Ten we get to do this. Not only that, and it's also this game is the first time since 2004 where two 5-0 and Pac-12 teams have met and they are both ranked. That time was USC versus Arizona State. USC won 45-7. So this is a, a ginormous game in this series. It's also a pretty damn big game in the Pac-12 because these are two of the best teams the Pac-12 has had in, in some time. And they're both vying for a college football playoff uh, contention or a bid, I guess I could call it. Um, Eric and I talked about this on the Wednesday podcast. No, Tuesday podcast, not with Pate, where... I guess we kind of did on Wednesday too, where if one team loses this game, there's still a chance because of how good they've played this year and the schedule that they have ahead of them, they could still bid for a college football uh, playoff spot. So again, people are going to be sentimental about this matchup and probably have like one game that's way bigger than the next uh, between Oregon and Washington from both sides of the equation. But on paper, yeah, this seems like probably the biggest matchup these two teams have ever had. But uh, let's hope that it that lives up to the hype where these are two top 10 teams. These are two guys, two teams that are among the best in the country um, and that it lives up to the hype and that they both play well and it's a close game throughout. This, to me, feels very similar to 2014 um, when Oregon went to UCLA after they lost, um, I think it was, they lost to Arizona at home, right, Eric? Yeah. So they went to, they, they went to UCLA that next week and it had Gus Johnson. I remember that Gus Johnson was on the call. It was a, like a noon kickoff on Fox. Both teams were just outside the top 10. I know the rankings are different, but like the pressure of that game was, hey, like if you lose this, you came into the year with the expectation that you were going to make the college football playoff, and if you lose this game, you're done. You're you're not in it. And I, I agree to Jared's point that like you can still get to the playoffs even if you lose this game and, and don't get to the conference championship. ESPN's like playoff predictor says that I did this yesterday. Oregon would have like a 15% chance of going to the playoff if they went 11 and one and didn't make the playoffs. But that's the type of like feel I have for this game where the league is so good that it's tough to, to look out the rest of the way and, and definitively say you're going to win every single game the rest of the way and, and get to 11 and one. Um, and I'm not trying to say like Oregon loses, they're out of the playoff, but that's just kind of like the feel that the, the pressure that comes with this game, what's on the line. Cause like Jared said, like this could be a preview of what's to come the next 20 years in the big 10 where every single game is massive and this is just the first one do we i think this might be the only um might wind up i was just thinking about this because of usc schedule 
and the way that this game is going to bump a team out. Like, this could be the only, as good as the conference is, this might be the only game this whole conference season between two top 10 teams, perhaps. Just because USC most likely drops a, drops a game here coming up here. They've got an <clears> incredibly <throat> grueling slate. The loser of this game will, will pop out. Um, it could be the only top 10 matchup perhaps until a conference championship game with perhaps these two games. Again, again, that's a lot going on here, and that's assuming mm -hmm. a ton of things that both these teams are going to be in that game and that they'll be able to maneuver the rest of their slate to get there. But that's the type of game we're coming up on, I think. is This, this to me, feels like the – the marquee game out West, which was something I felt coming into the season. And then there was all of these other teams in the, in the picture and USC certainly still should be there. They haven't lost yet, but they look, right. I think they look kind of wounded. They don't look quite like a top 10 ish team to me right now. And we'll see that offense is still amazing. Mm -hmm. That defense does not look good. I will be very curious to see how their result with Notre Dame plays out on Saturday, but like this feels like the marquee game out West. And it's one where if you win it, I think, Rightfully so, you will more than likely, when the college football playoff committee puts together its first rankings fairly soon, the winner of this game, I imagine, will be one of those top four teams in the, when it debuts. That is probably going to be the case, but Oregon State plays at UCLA this or at home this weekend against UCLA. If they win that one, they'll move up a little bit, and they're 15 right now. And then they play Arizona, Colorado, Stanford before they play at, uh, at home against Washington and at, at Oregon. If there's going to be another one, it's going to involve the Beavers, in, in my opinion. Could be. I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised to see USC be another top 10 matchup, though. I, Could be. Absolutely. I know that their, their defense absolutely stinks, but no one, no one has shown that they could stop them on offense. So I think that they could potentially play their way. Because you can only really do this in college football where you can – uh, play offense your way into winning games. And uh, sometimes that'll happen. Sometimes it won't. So far for USC, I mean, when you have the best quarterback in the country, yeah. it kinda, it's kind of an upper hand than everybody else. So we'll find out eventually. That was that November 4th or whatever that, that USC game is, the 5th. Um, 14th. So 14th, yes. excuse yep. me. So we're, we're a month away. There's a bunch that could happen between Oregon and USC, um, but it would not surprise me at all if that's a, I don't know, an eight no matchup between both teams, nine and no matchup between both teams. Wouldn't be too surprising. All right, let's what are we what are we looking forward to? Um by the way, it's eleventh. We were both wrong, Jared. Uh, we were in the in the middle. Shoot. Uh, <laughs> Price is right. I think you guys So we are we are yeah. a month away. So we got that we got that part. Cool. Yes. Um things to watch for in, in this game. Um just a bonus one. Um, I'm really excited. Uh, I, I just want to hear what your guys' thoughts are on this one. Like, I'm trying not to be overzealous here, but this might be like the best atmosphere at Washington I've been to as someone that covers football um, yeah. for, for Oregon. Um, and I, my, my, my history in Husky Stadium is very limited. But I just, I just wonder. I'm curious to to see what the media up there says post game. Do they call it, you know, the best game atmosphere since blank, or the best ever blank? Um, I, I'm just juiced to see what this game's going to be like. It, it's very similar to to what it was for Colorado for me. Um, very rarely have I ever had this like itch 
for the game to get here during the week. Um, it, I, I love my job. I love going to do, you know, to do my job, but like very rarely do these games get so big for me where it's like, man, it's only Tuesday. Can Saturday just get here? Like, and that's how I've felt for this one. You know, a lot of my buddies have said the same thing, like passing the week has just been tough. Um, I'm just excited just to see a, the environment and, be how both teams kind of handle said environment. You know, Oregon, I asked a bunch of guys when I was at practice Tuesday and Monday, just how much does week two help? Um, Nick's called it huge. Um, some of the defensive guys said it's going to help them. Dan Lanning said that hostile can be fun, I think is what he said. Um, how much does the week two experience at Texas Tech help with Oregon in this one? Um, Josh Connolly was asked – this this week about like I think it was you Eric that asked about the sack you know the false starts are you more prepared for that he said yes yeah. he's 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 better in there he feels more confident now that won't happen um, turnovers does that happen because of the the atmosphere I don't know just the the overall game environment is something I'm excited to see um, play out Husky Stadium is sold out uh, and, and it's just this this hasn't happened before and it's going to be new territory oh, there's more belief for not Washington. the sellout part but. I was just going to say, there's more belief from Washington. Like, they, they expect to win this game. Yeah. Their fans expect to win this game. And the team, I, I don't know if they've said they expect to win this game, but certainly there should be confidence. They are the higher-ranked team. They are favored um, by Vegas. They haven't really been tested at all at home for a little bit here. Um, you know, and I think in terms of atmospheres, I've walked into at Husky Stadium. I think I've covered games in 13, 17, 19, and 21. So this will be the fifth one. Like, if you run through those, like – 2013, Oregon was rolling with Mariota, and I don't think Washington really thought they were going to win that game. 2017, Washington knew they were going to win that game, but they were overlooking Oregon because Oregon didn't have Justin Herbert. So, like, they, the atmosphere was juiced. They were more like, oh, this is this is just going to happen. Um, and then in 19 and 21, it was a little bit more even footing, perhaps, in 19. But 21, again, that was the kind of that Jimmy Lake era where it was that the wheels were falling off. So, um, this is, again, to the point I made earlier, this is a unique situation where, like, Washington thinks – like this is our year. This is a special season. This is our final year with Penix. Like what we saw last year set us up for this year to make a run at something truly special, do something that we haven't done in a very long time. So I, I absolutely think this atmosphere is going to be different. Like Washington fans believe they are going to win this game. That has not always been the case when Oregon has headed up to Seattle. So I think that part's good. I um I don't know if I should out myself. I have a friend who's a diehard Washington fan, and we're going to call him Husky Sam. I talked to him on the phone for a little, over an hour last night. I wanted to get some in-depth thoughts here on things we haven't been talking about. And one thing, there's, I've got a bunch here. I don't know how much we want to run through, but he kind of tipped me off that maybe we should be talking about a fourth receiver because Jeremy Bernard is is pretty darn mm -hmm. good. He's good. And they, and they will go four wide receivers and utilize him at times. Um, he he told me like if you were to predict a player who might have kind of a sneaky big game, that would be the name to mention. Um, we talked a little bit about some of that pre-snap motions, some of their bunch sets, uh, how they're trying to get different mismatches, um, how the, all three of those primary receivers are capable of lining up kind of in every single spot and how that there really isn't like some schools, like a traditional X receiver or Z receiver at times and how they'll have maybe McMillan on one series or one play lines up here and then they move him. So that, is all contingent upon trying to find certain matchups. And so that it, from that regard, like Nico Reed better be prepared to go, 
you know, head, uh, you know, head up Roma Dunze, which is kind of a strange matchup. Whereas I'm sure you'd like to have Kyrie or you'd like to have Jaleel or you'd like to have Dante or someone who's a little bit bigger out there on him. Um, and you might have a situation where you get a Kyrie Jackson playing McMillan in the slot. You might get a situation where you have somebody in kind of a weird spot. You might have a situation where you have a safety on one of those guys. So their, their, their motion pre-snap is, is predicated. And I don't think this is reinventing the wheel here, but just to break this down for fans, they're trying to find mismatches. So while Oregon, we feel really good about Kyrie Jackson and Jaleel Florence, it's going to take everybody to be kind of at their top top level here to maintain and hold up in coverage against these guys. And even then, it's going to be tough because you're going against really talented receivers. Um, let's see what else. Oh, I asked him about the UCLA game last year because UCLA against Oregon last year or Washington last year was was the one where Penix really kind of struggled. He got hit a couple times and he was sacked and he was, um, you know. Uh, Latu from UCLA kind of I think had a pretty darn good day and, and, and UCLA won that one. And and he said he they have not really had a team come out and be aggressive with their pass rush and try to play man on the outside since. And I'm curious to see what Oregon's approach is. Because we saw what Arizona did. And I know Jared brought this up a little bit on Monday. Like, does Oregon just say we're going to bring four or five every down and we're going to drop a bunch of guys in coverage. We're not going to let them beat us over the top. We're going to play primarily kind of like soft zone and just say, okay, we'll give you eight to 10 yards, but we're not going to give you 40. And are they okay doing that? And then hope that within those like kind of slow drives, Penix makes a mistake or there's an incompletion or the defense can make a play and intercept it. Like, are they comfortable doing that? Or do we see them kind of go more, Colorado game where Oregon just said, Hey, we're going to man up on the outside and bring some like, ex, you know, six guys this time. We're going to bring a simulated pressure. That's the sort of thing um, on that side of the ball that I'm, that I'm kind of curious on in terms of how Oregon chooses to match up. And, and Sam, my Husky Sam, my friend was, 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 was telling me that uh, he thinks either one of those, you know, he's of course a Washington fan. He's pretty confident. Either one of those has, potential leaves you in a, in a tough spot. So um, that was some of the things that he had to say. I don't know if you, I don't think I should unload the entire notepad here because I could go for a while, but um, those were some things that he brought up that I think were, were worth mentioning today. Those are good. Those are good. Um, for the, the defensive aspect, like regardless of what Oregon runs, whether it's man or they play quarter defense or they play dollar defense and drop 11 or <laughs> drop, uh, drop <laughs> everybody guys in the coverage. Yeah. Um, they're going to have some trouble stopping the passing attack, but uh, some teams have found um, some success, some quote unquote success against Washington and Michael Penix, whether it be dropping, uh, dropping in a soft zone, letting them get four to eight yards of time, uh, and then really trying to tighten it up in the red zone. That could be a strategic idea that Oregon implements, or if they're doing just man coverage and uh, like they did against Colorado where, they feel confident in Kyrie Jackson and Jaleel Florence uh, and whoever's playing the slot that day, whether it be Taishim or Nico Reed, um, that they just have confidence and that they can stick with guys. And maybe they'll try that because that gives them a better opportunity to get some uh, some edge rushers and some some blitzing linebackers at the middle, some stunts, some free safety blitzes with Evan Williams. But we'll find out on Saturday. So, uh, I mean, there's plenty of things that Dan Lanning can go to. It just depends which one that he and Tosh Lupoy eventually decide on picking. Um, but it, you know, overall for the game, I'm also very excited to see what the environment is like. I only covered the game in 2021 where, like Eric mentioned, Jimmy Lake season, um, still was kind of exciting though. Still was a good crowd, at least for the first half, honestly, because there was some 
horrible miscues from Oregon and it was drenching rain and it was it was a very interesting game <laughs> yeah. and it was close yeah. it was close for the for uh, the first half and honestly like nearly like the first three full quarters so um, there was a good environment up there so I'm even more excited to see what it's going to be like this Saturday I always love a good college football environment especially for a game like this which should be if if, if last season was any I don't know, like heads up into what this year could be like. It's going to be a great game because last year's was a, a tremendous college football game, even though Oregon lost. Like sometimes you just lose and that's OK, because that Washington team last year, just like they are this year. Damn good team. Um, overall, I think I'm just interested to see what is going to be an Oregon defensive thing for me, uh, how, how they do in the pass rush. Can they get to Michael Penix Jr.? And if they can. How much does that uh, sway the game? Because that could have a huge impact. Uh, Washington's only allowed like a handful of sacks this year. Their offensive line has been great. They haven't played great defensive linemen, but that doesn't matter. They're still an incredible there on the offensive line. So can Oregon devise a scheme that gets to Michael Penix Jr.? Do they need to bring extra guys? Can they bring three or four and get pressure every time? Or do they really need to bring five or six? Because that'll be the difference. Because if they bring five or six, that leaves less guys in coverage. That means more opportunities for Penix if he can get the ball out before a guy gets there. If they can throw four out there, three or four, and get to the quarterback, that's going to help Oregon tremendously. So that's the that's the main thing I'm looking at. Um, I was going to bring up so much. It should be focused on the defense, but so much of our focus just now, everywhere else is is can Oregon's defense stop Oregon or Washington's offense um i also think though like oregon's ability to run the football and the huskies inability to stop it this season at a consistent clip is something to watch because the way the huskies have won it feels like this season is they get up by a lot of points early in the game very similar to um what troy taylor of stanford said ahead of oregon and that forces opponents to get out of their game plan and have to throw to catch up. And we've seen teams, though, when they commit to running the football, have success. Um, the Huskies aren't, like, atrocious, they're, but they're below the middle of the pack from a, from a statistical standpoint in the country. Um, and I don't know if we remember much of last year's game, but Bucky had, like, 145 yards rushing on yeah. 20 carries and he had like 45 more yards on like sw swing passes and screen game stuff. Um, I really am curious to see how Oregon game plans this offensively. Uh, I, I said it once on this podcast, I think Oregon's best defense might be its offense and slowing the ball down and, and, and just preventing uh, snaps for, for Washington. Um, that game last season if you remember right Oregon got the ball like to start the fourth quarter and inside they're like five and they proceeded to put together like a 10 minute drive that chewed up almost the entire clock now in the end it, it cost them because they didn't score a touchdown on that drive right. they only got a field goal and we know what happened after that but they 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 sh they showed that they could move the ball and ball control and do we see a game plan similar to what Oregon did against Colorado in which, Hey, we're, we're going to throw a lot of stuff at you from a running, from a rushing attack standpoint. We're going to throw a lot of like swing passes, 
screens to our receivers, basically an extension of the passing game. And we'll, we'll take some occasional shots down the field like they did. But a lot of this stuff is just going to get guys in space real quick, protect the football, and put them in one-on-one situations. Now, Washington's defense is way better than Colorado's, like hands hands down. Yeah. They have better athletes. They're 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 more skilled. Um, they're more disciplined. But can Oregon replicate what they did last year with their run game and short passing game? And if they can, I've got more confidence in Oregon getting the stops needed than Washington's defense getting the stops needed. If Oregon's able to do that on the ground, we'll yeah. See. And the other. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's good. I think we should spend time talking about this side of the ball because it's it is the heart. It's the part that we could pretty easily ignore just because of uh, the sexy stuffs on the other side. To be honest, right? Like, I mean, Washington with all those receivers, the Oregon pass defense, which has gone from being not very good to now fifth nationally in, in pass defense through five games. Like, all of that are the talking points. But this side is important too. And I think you're right, Matt. That for, for, for Oregon here, um, establishing the running game and then being able to be in a position where you can continue to run the football for all four quarters is absolutely paramount. Because I think you can win there. I think you can have success there. But as you said, Matt, if you get behind like everybody has against Washington this season and you are in a position where you're forced to throw, I think Oregon is perfectly equipped to play from that position, by the way, just with Bo Nix and what he's shown so far. It's not optimal, though, and it gives Washington a chance to play a little bit more aggressively defensively or a chance to maybe make uh, capitalize on a mistake or two from Bo. When Bo has been pretty darn good in terms of avoiding those type of situations, he had the one pick against Colorado. He had the pass against Texas Tech that looked like it was intercepted and it ended up not being. But like, it's you think about, what, 130 pass attempts this year maybe and like two of them off the top of my head like really put the ball up and up for grabs for the opponent like this is a game where you want to avoid some of that um uh, husky sam had a couple thoughts here i'm gonna run through really fast uh penalties in the secondary he said that uh, washington's secondary has been very aggressive uh in, in terms of playing aggressive coverage uh have been hit with several pi calls he's not super confident in the personnel there um, he does think Hampton, one of their safeties, reminds him of Cam Chancellor, but not as athletic, just a big physical safety. Um, he's their leading tackler. And then the other thing he mentioned was that he doesn't think Washington wants to bring a lot of pressure. They want to be able to sit and play a pretty aggressive coverage and then rely on ZTF and Trice on the uh, to, to win off the edge. And that hasn't been a fantastic formula in terms of getting sacks this season, but um, they are 5-0, and and you can't ignore that part either. So um, I, I am very curious to see how Oregon executes because ultimately that's what I think it comes down to. Um, against Stanford, it wasn't great, and no. it took them a minute to get going. They, don't, they will not allow them. They can't, they can't put themselves in a position here where they don't score in the, in the first quarter because um, if that's what happens, they're going to be trailing at halftime pretty clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's why – Dan went out to say like it's 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 it, it is important to go out and get a hot start. Um, I know he's just stating the obvious, just like we are. It's like yeah, you want to score a touchdown on your first seven drives of the game, like duh, everybody does. But uh, it's going to be difficult. I mean, obviously Washington doesn't want to start sending pressure from the very beginning of the game because that'll just um, you want to rely on your defensive linemen. But if they're not doing anything, then you have to allow or you have to apply pressure, which is a point I made previously. Like. If you need six, seven guys like Oregon's defense did last year at all times to get to the quarterback, you have a problem. 
And it's going to be very easy for an offense, a good offensive coordinator like Ryan Grubb, specifically for Washington, to scheme around that and just get quick hitters where the guys are coming from blitzes. And Michael Penix is a good quarterback, and that won't matter. But this is about Oregon's offense. Um, the Ducks already do all these little dink and dumps. Like Bonix's av- like average depth of target is pretty low, and that's like a negative talking point towards Knicks. But that's what Will Stein does. He uses his passing game as a as a way to continue the run game. We all saw it against Texas Tech. Some people didn't like it against Texas Tech, but you want to know what it did? It set up some deep shots. It set up some uh, scenarios where, yeah, if Oregon's not running the ball well, they can get the ball in space to Tez Johnson and let him run. Um, So that's a game plan every single week for Oregon and Will Stein. So I don't expect that to change. Um, What needs to change is Bo Nix's inability to hit a deep ball. And we've talked about this all year. Good point. And it hasn't really mattered because Oregon is 5-0 and this year. But you want to know what, what would have been a big difference maker against Stanford and we wouldn't be talking about the slow start? If Bo yep. Nix threw a good ball to Tez Johnson on the first drive of the game, third play of the game for Oregon. Yep. It would have been a touchdown. Uh, Texas Tech, he had one or two missed balls. He had one completely uh, wide open Casey Kelly, one of them, to be clear heading towards the end zone with a wide open touchdown that he missed. Uh, He didn't even throw it. He just missed the read. Right. If you're Oregon and you can score a 64 yard touchdown to Troy Franklin or whoever the receiver is, you can't be missing those opportunities. And I'm not saying that Bo Nix isn't a good deep ball thrower. We've all seen it. He has that in his bag. He can do it a lot of times, but he has not really connected this year. And it does. It hasn't mattered yet is my point. And if he, on a third down and four, if he gets a deep ball where a guy has five yards of of, uh, of gap between he, him and whatever secondary co- guy is covering him, and that's a miss, that's a punt or a field goal rather than a touchdown. And so those moments are going to be extremely important. Um, and I think that Oregon will will set those deep balls up like they have all year with the running game, with Jordan James, Bucky Irving, with these quick out routes to Tez Johnson or Gary Bryant or whoever's playing the slot, um, with these yeah. – little screen passes, whatever the case may be. But Oregon has to hit the deep shots. And I think Bo Nix is absolutely capable. It just hasn't happened as often as it did last year. Um, but Saturday is going to be the game where those need to connect. Can't really be missing those. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Because um, you're right, he has missed multiple shots this season. And like you said, field goals, that's a punt. You can, Field goals. Won't do anything in this game um, unless it's the last play of the game and it's a field goal to win the game. Uh, mm-hmm. I just have a hard time seeing a lot of field goals play out in this one. All right, let's take a quick break. We come back, we'll dive into some of our bold predictions, we'll update the standings uh, for the season for that, and then we'll also make some game picks. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Um, prediction time. Big week for Jared and Eric last week. They both went two and two. Uh, Jared remains in first place with a seven and 13 record. Uh, I am in second with a six and 14 record, but Eric is now within reaching distance of me. Um, he went two for two last week. He's four of 16, so just two back. Um, our game picks were also uh, undefeated straight up. And then um, 
the against the spread, I still have just a one score lead. Uh, one and okay. four and oh, you guys are three and one. Um, all right, offensive team prediction here. Um, Oregon had 592 yards of total offense against the Huskies last season. I don't think that's going to happen um, again this time around. It's, you know, Washington's improved defensively. Um, the game's going to be played probably in some wet conditions. It was dry last year. Um, it's on the road, which should factor in a little bit there as well. Um, so I don't think that's going to happen, but I did think Oregon's offense is going to have some success. They are going to go over um, 500 yards in this game. And so then I was like, well, that, that's an easy one. Oregon's offense is already so good. So I went and looked at like, what has Washington's defense allowed per play for the highest level? And California oh. has that right now at 6.2 yards per play. Cal also has the most yards allowed. Uh, Put up against Washington's defense, which is kind of surprising considering Cal is not really known to be an offensive team. But um, they did uh, they did they, score forty on Oregon State. They did with a new quarterback too, which is mm -hmm. interesting. Yep. Uh, Six point two is also really easy for Oregon to hit. So considering they average eight point one yards per play, mm -hmm. so I kind of went in the middle. Uh, I'm going to say Oregon averages a season high six point seven yards. Uh, against Washington's defense um, this season. And even that kind of feels low, but that's where I'm going at. I like that there was a lot of, that was that one in so many directions, Matt. There was like a beginning, a middle, an end. There were a couple of twists <laughs> and turns. It was like a Tarantino movie. I didn't know where you're yes. going. Okay, it's good. I like that, a little creativity. I, I like mine. Mine's a little creative as well. Um, I was looking at red zone and you got you brought it up earlier, the, the importance of converting red zone trips to touchdowns. Washington's 10th in the Pac-12 in oppose, uh, an opponent uh, touchdown percentage in the red zone. Uh, and Oregon has converted 23 of 28 trips into touchdowns, which is near the top of the Pac-12. Oregon State, by the way, is like 22 for 22 or something in red zone trips wow. in terms of converting to touchdowns. Like, it's like kind of crazy. Um, <clears throat> but so I'm going there and, I, and I'm predicting, and this is pretty bold, I think, that every single red zone trip Oregon has results in a touchdown. Ooh. And I think it's important because I, I – well, here's the reason behind that. A, I don't know if they're going to be comfortable settling for field goals at certain points in this game. So there might not be a lot of opportunities to even kick field goals. Um, and B, Washington, again, has struggled there. And that might be the part of the field where Oregon's able to flex its muscle a little bit up front and have some success running the football. So um, – it also might be a game where shoot, maybe there's going to be like last year where there's a lot of explosive passes and there aren't that many red zone trips. Maybe only or maybe Oregon only has three times of the whole game that they get in the red zone. So, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so that's where I'm landing. Every single red zone trip results in an Oregon touchdown. I always have a hard time with these offensive team ones because um, really you have to kind of throw like outlandish numbers to have a bold prediction because Oregon's offense is is rather good this year. Uh, you know, it's like highest yards you know, allowed by Washington this year is like 502. Like that's that's a good day at the office for Cal. Like for Oregon, like if they perform well, yeah. that should be easily achievable. And it's like, well, yeah. shoot. Um, or like uh, Washington's highest rush yards allowed this year is 168. Like it's pretty good. It's not a bad day at the office for most teams. But Oregon, again, if they 
execute and perform as they have so far this season, they should hit that with ease. It's like so, 60 below their average, I think. So Yeah, so it's like uh, – so I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I don't have one. I think it was what I'm coming at. <laughs> not gonna, you're just going to omit the pick. <laughs> I don't I – don't, I genuinely don't know because you guys both took my other ideas where it was like yards per play and red zone efficiency. Uh, I wasn't going to go as bold as Eric was with a, every single one, but I was going to be at least like 75% or better. Um, but then again, I'm just doing the same thing as you guys. So, uh, pick, a, pick a point total, maybe. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just went through all my, my gripes with uh, Oregon's offense. So, damn you, Will Stein. I'll just do the red zone thing. I think they'll hit at a 75% or, or better efficiency. How about that? Get to go right. again. Now, now I get to go. Finally, um, offensive player of the game. That's what we're up to now. Uh, this was a tough one too. I kind of wanted to go, maybe not off the script because he's a big player. I wanted to go with Tez Johnson again this year. I really like Tez. He stunk against Stanford. Didn't record a catch. First time in thirty-seven or thirty-eight games that he did not record a catch. Uh, there's always yes, the next that was game. My pick last week. Yeah, it did not work out. Uh, this is my pick oh. this week. There's always the next game, as they like to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have Tess Johnson with over four receptions, over 65 yards, and at least a touchdown, singular one touchdown. So there's my player of the game, or player uh, prediction. Are you gonna? Are you guys going to allow me to pick Bucky? Am I just jinxing him if I pick him? You can do whatever you want. Yeah, I'm just asking. Just know that it's probably not going to be right. Are the, are the fans going to be mad if I pick Bucky and, and he's just going to not do good at all? Um, I have been close on a lot of the times where I picked a player and they just haven't quite reached like last week or last game, I should say, with, with Troy and Stanford. I didn't I didn't jinx him. He ended up having a great game. He just didn't quite get to the place I got. So I'm going to think I'm going to be doing the same thing here. And I'll pick Bucky to set a new career high in scrimmage yards. Yeah, Ooh. pretty bold. The reason I picked it was last year against Washington, he set his his previous career high of uh, 181. Yeah, I think he had like about 150 yards and about 30 yards receiving. Um, <clears throat> kind of goes into what we we're talking about before. If if Oregon is able to maintain contact, maybe play with a little bit of a lead here, Bucky should be able to be impactful. And last year against Washington, like go back and watch like a Bucky Irving highlight package. A lot of the best plays were in that Washington game. A lot of times where he just ducked under players or ran through contact or made guys look silly in the open field. He, as I said previously, I think before the Colorado game, he just seems to have a, a will in these big moments to have big games. So I, I'm going to say he has a big one here. I'm going to say 182 or more scrimmage yards. And I prepare myself probably to get it wrong, but hopefully to set him up to have a really big game so Oregon fans aren't mad at me. Okay. All right, my turn. Um, can you guys guess what Bo Nix's record is in games on the road against a top ten opponent? I don't think he's. I think he's zero and six. That sounds yes. about right. Do you know what, what his yards per game averages for throwing? Two hundred thirty-two. Way short. I was just. I, I was, or or uh, way over. Way over. I, was, I think it's below two hundred. Oh, sorry, below two hundred. Yes. 177 yards. He's 0 and 6 all time on in games on the road against the top 10 opponent. He averages just 177 yards throwing per game, and his touchdown to interception ratio is just two to seven. Uh, not good. good. 
he is he has not played good football uh, on the road against the top ten team. Now, caveat to that is five of those six came while at Auburn, and the sixth one was his first game at Oregon against Georgia. Um, it's very clear that you take away the Georgia game. Everything else since has been tremendous football from from Bo Nix. Yep. And he has been really, really good. Um, I think he plays his best game, which is not hard to do. Um, so I'm not going to say he throws for 178 yards. Yeah, I was going to say that. Please, please, please don't say he throws for 180 <laughs> yards. I was going to say, good Lord. So I am saying uh, he more than doubles that 177 Ooh. passing number. Yeah. Um, and so I've got him at 360 because he threw, I think, for like 359 against Washington last season. Yep, yep. So I'm Washington going 360. Yeah, yeah, Washington State. Um, so I'm going 360 in this one for, for Bo Nix. And he has a better, a positive touchdown to interception ratio. In the past, Matt, I have called you out for not being bold enough. Now you're just – you're bucking the trend. This is like b- the boldest prediction you could have made. Like I love it. It's like a career high for Knicks, right? It's pretty, it's pretty damn close. 360? For, yeah, I think so. It's I'll look close. it up while we're, while we're doing this. I don't know his Auburn career well enough, but at Oregon, he had the big one against Wazoo last year, and I think that was, as Jared said, around this number. So I love it, Matt. I, I, you're, you are, you're making it tough on yourself, but also if that happens – it's going to be very. It's going to be very satisfying, I think, because that probably means that Bo Nix is like a legitimate, like the, maybe the number one Heisman candidate coming out of this one if he does well, that. In my, win. in my, in the in our game pick story that we post on Friday, I went into a little bit more detail, but I I, I do say they'll take a, t- a couple shots, but I'm banking on your Bucky scrimmage yards, yeah, being a a very big proponent of Bucky of, of Bo getting to 360. I think. They're going to do a lot of screens. They're going to do a lot of swing passes. They're going to do a lot of stuff. Uh, that's basically the extension of the run game. Like to Jared's point, his depth per attempt is not very high. Um, I, I think that will continue to be the trend against Washington. They'll take shots, and I think I think he'll hit on one or two of them. But I think a lot of this is going to become via the short passing game. So I lied. It's a four twenty-eight against Washington State last year. But last year against Washington, he threw for under 300. Did he? I thought it was 359. No. I, at least uh, this is what uh, college football reference tells me, is that he threw mm-hmm. for Must have got my 279. All right. Well, I made it really hard on myself, but who cares? <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> uh. All right, it's your turn right on the uh, – Oh, yeah, it's my turn again. Uh, team, defensive team – yeah, team defense here. Um, I've gone back and forth on this one. I think Oregon's front seven's improved. Um, they, you know, The Huskies have only allowed three sacks. It's sixth best in the country. That's tied with Oregon with three allowed. Um, their two tackles are inside the top, I think, 11 – in the country and pass protection via pro football focus for the Huskies. Um, Michael Penix just doesn't get touched. Uh, He very rarely gets rushed or hurried through his progressions. But I think 
this is a game where Oregon's defense has improved. A lot of their guys on this year's team that are key pieces were not here last year, especially up front. Um, the addition of Popo Amave. I know he's on the team already, uh, but he didn't play because he was hurt last season. Yep. Uh, Jordan Burt, his addition has been big. He, he leads the team in sacks. Um, mm. The three freshmen at, at edge are all newcomers, obviously. So I, I think Oregon's defense is going to find a way to get pressure on, on Penix, and it's going to result in two or more sacks on the day. And two or more doesn't sound bold until you look and see, like, Penix has been sacked, I think, ten times his entire time at Washington or something crazy. Yeah, yep. uh, three, three times this season. I mean, I, I'm saying more than half of their, their total number comes Saturday. I have taken a thing Husky Sam said during our long phone call, and I'm just turning it into a prediction. He said something like, I think UW's going to have three different players catch touchdowns, but no receiver over 100 yards. So I think that's a decent one here. I think Oregon will, obviously, I think Washington's going to have some, they're going to score points in this game. I think that's extremely likely. I think they'll do a good job uh, based upon how I anticipate them playing this game of eliminating somebody from having a massive day. I think Oregon's good enough on the secondary to stop that, to slow that down a little bit. It's going to remind me a little bit of that 19 game with SC where everybody coming in was like, oh, man, Bonds and Pittman and Amon Ra. And I think Drake London was on that team. who was a freshman. Like, And I don't think any of them had more than like 70 yards. And I'm not predicting that this time, but I think no player over 100 from Washington's receiving core, but three different guys get in the end zone. doesn't have to be three receivers, but three different players catch touchdowns for Washington. That's a good one. I like that as well. Um I would pretty plain. Uh, I just think that Washington's going to – actually, I'll switch it a little bit. Washington's going to put up uh, the highest yardage total against Oregon this entire year. Not just so far, but this entire season. Uh, I think that they'll – by the end of the year, we'll look back and say, which team did Oregon allow the most yards to? Ah, yes, Washington, October 14th. Um, so pretty. This is the boldest one of the year. Really? I mean, Washington's the best offense they're going to face all year. I, I don't think well, it's I just got to retroactively go back every week to adjust this. Yeah, I was going to say it's uh, not the bull, yeah. it's 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 uh, <laughs> it, it's not that it's the boldest. It, it 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 means that we're not going to know the final result of this until January, perhaps, which is kind of yes. fun. No, yeah, you might not. Um, I still think because I thought about just doing like, oh, Washington's going to you know uh, rack up the most yards so far this season. It's like four fifty-seven yeah. would do it, and it's like, well. And if they don't do that, <laughs> that means happen. Oregon had a really good day at the office. So, um, uh, yeah, sorry, Matt, you'll have to retroactively do this. <laughs> this is your this is your payback for trying. <laughs> you guys trying to get me to do another stock report guy. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, th- I think they're going to put up the highest of the of the entire season. So that's what we're going with. And then me again, defensive pr- player prediction. Um, there were a couple guys I thought about going with with this pick. It was tough. I think there's a lot of opportunities for guys to get involved on defense, specifically because of how often uh, Michael Penix is throwing the ball. But I didn't go with a secondary member. I went with a former secondary member and Jeffrey Bassa. Hey. Jeff, baby, he's been good this year. He's been really good. He took a lot of heat on the podcast last year. He said, okay, I'm going to add 20, 30 pounds of muscle. He did that, and he's turned into a, a, a very good linebacker for Oregon, much better than I think a lot of us, uh, as like a lot of Oregon fans anticipated, a lot of us three anticipated he's become yeah. much better. Yep. He's had, 
I think one or two missed tackles all season long. Um, he's just been surefire. He's been solid and he's going to be tested like everybody is on Oregon's defense against Washington. But I do have him leading the team in tackles at over six and a half. I think it's going to be a, a normal Oregon defensive game where it's kind of by committee. I think he'll, I think he'll lead the team and have over six and a half tackles with over a half tackle a loss. Oof. I like it. I like that a lot. I will say I did research and through five games, a safety has, this leads into my prediction, a safety has led every opponent of Washington in tackles this season. Um, so that leads me to go, here's Evan Williams on a silver platter for me to lead the team in tackles. Um, every team, I think it was besides, I can't remember if it was either Cal or Arizona has had more than eight tackles in one of those games. So I was going to say, yeah, eight or more. I was going to do a seven and a half thing Jared does, but I'll just say eight or more tackles for Evan Williams and he leads the team in tackles. Um, I think he's the guy this week. Um, there's kind of an interesting storyline that we haven't touched on this podcast and I'm going oh, to talk yeah. about later today where he played for the head coach on the other team at Fresno State for the first three years of his career. So um, I think it's three. <clears throat> um so there is definitely history here, and there are several assistants that he played for as well on that side, on, over on Washington's side. So there's a little bit of that. There's also something else we touched on. His brother had a tough day last year in this game, and he mentioned that that was something that he hasn't forgotten. His brother hasn't forgotten. Bennett will be up in Seattle. So I just think there's a kind of a couple of different spots here. Of like He wants to prove himself against his former coaching staff, and he wants to – probably just make sure that the Williams name is is more respected up in Seattle than it has been after Bennett had a really tough game last year. So I think he's, a, for a couple of reasons, a good person to pick here. Uh, we're going to have this stack covered because okay. three picks for leading tackler, three different players, and probably the three most likely candidates. Uh, I'm going with Kyrie Jackson mm. uh, lead, leading the team in tackles. Christian Gonzalez did it last year in this game with 10 Yep. Um, he was all over the place. I think Kyrie Jackson, he was brought in to replace Christian Gonzalez. So quite honestly, I'm a little surprised he was still available on this one. But yeah, I, I think all I think both your guys' picks all have sound logic behind it, all make a ton of sense for why they would be the guy. Uh, if it's not my selection, I'm hoping selfishly it is. Uh, but I didn't because I've gone so bold in my other ones, I didn't attach a number to this one. Okay. I just said I just said he would lead the team in tackles. I do think, to Jared's point, tackle by committee will probably happen. There's not going to be a – I don't think there's going to be a guy that has 13 or 14 tackles in this game. Ten even feels like a lot, um, just how Oregon plays its defense, how they rotate. But the fact that Kyrie Jackson's probably going to be locked up on multiple guys and they're all so talented – Maybe that's going to be why he gets so many tackles because he's just going to be all over the place. But maybe because he's so good, they just avoid him and they go to two other guys who are really, really good as well. And that limits his, his chances to get tackles. I don't know. Um, but I'm hoping Kyrie's going to be around the football to make some tackles. Ky Kyrie is the X factor player for me in this one. So I like that. Yes. All right. Uh, game picks here. Um, Vegas has this as like what three still? 
I think so. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Still um, three over under 66. So you, you, you throw this game on a neutral setting and Vegas says these two, these two teams are equal. You know, home usually gets about three points. Um, both offenses are some of the best in the country. Uh, both passing attacks are really good. Both offenses don't turn the football over. They don't get sacked. They don't make mistakes. Um, so how like is it? How do you win this game? What is going to be the difference? I, I think luck is going to be a factor here. I, I think you have to have some things go your way. Uh, a tipped ball at the line of scrimmage falls to the ground or a tipped ball at the line of scrimmage goes right to a linebacker's hands waiting for an easy interception. Um, a sack from the blind side doesn't get fumbled or a sack from the blind side does. Um, fluke plays, like that stuff has to fall in your favor uh, in these types of performances when both teams are equal. But ultimately, I, I think what will decide this game is who can dominate the line of scrimmage. And I think both teams are pretty equal from a, a tackle standpoint. They probably have the two better tackles in this game offensively. But I like Oregon's interior offensive line more than I like Washington's interior offensive line. Um, they're already down to their second string center. They're, he got hurt during fall camp. I like Oregon's defensive line more than I like Washington's defensive line. So I'm banking on the fact that Oregon's going to play a, a similar game plan that, that we saw last season, one in which they were in the lead for most of, of that game. They had the fourth quarter drive to, to – extend the lead to more than uh, 10 points and they failed to do it. Bonix got hurt. A bad snap went over his head on that play. Um, Dan Lanning also made an atrocious fourth down decision and went for it in his own territory on fourth and one instead of punting. And that allowed Washington to kick a field goal. So I, I don't think Bonix gets hurt. I don't think Dan Lanning's coaching decisions will, will cost Oregon points in this one. Um, I think Oregon's run game will show up like it did last season and Oregon will find a way to get two or three stops in this football game defensively. And in a game, that's like a shootout, two or three stops is basically all you need. So I'm going a lot of points, 42 Oregon, uh, Washington 34. So give me an eight point Oregon road victory. Um, very similar to what last season was looking like it was going to be. And then it, at the very last minute, it wasn't. Earmuff warning for any children listening. This is really fucking hard. <laughs> like, it really is. Like, I mean. It is. I, I, I've gone, I really have gone back and forth. Like, I picked a score, and I'm just struggling to, I, I'm, even right now, I'm kind of like, do I go with the gut? Do I go with the heart? Do I, what's the mindset? There's just a lot here in terms of who I actually think is going to win this game. I think it's going to be really, really competitive, and I think it's going to be a classic, and I think it's going to set this up to be, an even better rivalry than it is right now going into Big Ten play. And I expect, I sort of expect that this is going to be a rematch in the conference championship game. Yes. Um, I might be wrong. I mean, like, there's, there's so many good teams this year. It's totally possible the winner of this game goes and somebody else meets them in the conference championship game. That's totally plausible. Um, I think I like Oregon's team a little better. I don't like that this game is played at Husky Stadium. I don't like that this game features a quarterback who has really, really dominated at Husky Stadium. I don't have the splits in front of me, but like I think his like QBR is nearly perfect in games played That's it, up in Seattle. 
So it's, I, and I guess I'll just go with what I said in the preseason, which is going to bum people out in this podcast, which is that I thought Oregon was going to lose this game. So I'm going to stick with that um, reluctantly with, as I said, using an ex- expletive to lead in. And I'm going to go Washington 41, Oregon 38. I think it's going to be another game that's just decided in the last couple of minutes. This is going to be one where I don't think you might be holding like your bladder might be full for like an hour and you just aren't able to go to the bathroom because this one is just one of those where you don't want to leave your couch or you don't want to leave your seat in the stands. I think this is going to be an awesome, awesome football game. I truly don't know exactly which way to go with it. Um, Like, again, I think there's a lot of reasons I'm going to talk myself back and I'm going to like retroactively now pick Oregon, but I won't do that. I'll stick with the Washington over Oregon pick, but this one's, this is probably the hardest pick I've had to make since we've been doing these on these podcasts and genuinely I wouldn't be surprised either way. And I hope, I hope this is the rematch in, in December in Las Vegas. I hope we get to see it again. Cause what I'm expecting on Saturday, is going to be one of the most exciting football games we've seen in Oregon team play. Sadly, I'm not going to pick them to win. Uh, you can tell me how wrong I am in the comments. I frankly hope I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, it was a really difficult decision. Um, I originally, picked Oregon in the preseason I thought this would be one of their 10 wins and I just I don't know so I'm going to go over all the keys to the game for each team and then I'll probably make up my mind because I right now have a a question mark next to the team that I have selected so I don't know it's very difficult because both these teams are quite good at their jobs and uh, you're playing on the road so uh, point number one high pressure who performs better in this situation? Kind of talked about it earlier with the environment, the pressure, the stakes of this game, a top 10 matchup. Who takes it on? Who takes it to heart? Who performs better? Number two, uh, and I guess number three, I had uh, some stops and who has the better defense. Those kind of conjoin. Whoever gets more stops, and I know if you've stopped me, if you've heard this one before, but whoever scores less points is going to lose this game, meaning whoever makes more stops is going to win this game. Now, is that Oregon's defense who goes against the better offense between the two or if it's, or is it Washington's defense, which on paper is worse than Oregon's defense and has to go against the on paper worse defense. Worser is definitely a real word. Point number four, who gets pressure on the quarterback? We've talked a lot about price or excuse me, Trice, Braylon Trice and ZTF as edge rushers for Washington. Part of me has, admits that Braylon Trice is a great player and a nice uh, bendy edge that I like a lot and it could be a good NFL guy. He has three sacks all season. He was really good last year, hasn't done anything th- this year. ZTF has like two sacks this year, um, had seven in 2020 and hasn't even replicated that uh, amount since 2020. I think Trice has two or three sacks, so I am not sure what to think of this defensive line for Washington because while uh, they have just really good athletes, they haven't really produced at this rate. And Oregon's offensive line is really damn good, and I like their tackles a lot. Um, And finally, my last point – or second to last point. Excuse me, I wrote a new one. Will it rain? Because if it's going to rain and not just a little sprinkle, if it's going to rain hard, that could be uh, in favor of Oregon. And I don't know the current weather. I haven't looked it up yet. I probably should have, but that's a big one. And lastly, will Oregon stop messing with trick plays? Because that got their ass in hot water a lot last year. And so far, they haven't done it. Um, they did it a little bit with like the first touchdown to Casey Kelly against Colorado. They've had a fake punt. I get that. 
but I'm talking about like the Dante Thornton sweeps across the, the end zone with Ty Thompson as a quarterback with a pitch to him. Like those types of things that Kenny Dillingham did quite often last year. Haven't seen them too often this year. seems like Will Stein has a, uh, not that I don't love Kenny Dillingham, what he does, but he does, he isn't really, really willing to take that many chances. And I really hope that uh, Will Stein doesn't do that against Washington at this stage. So, all that being said, I have Washington winning 38-34. That's what my gut has told me this entire time. You went against your own word last week or two weeks ago. You said you don't change your picks. I don't. I know, but those are season picks. Um, this is a game pick. So those are my expectations at the beginning of the season. These are my expectations on Thursday. Nice. Uh, one caveat here. Nine of Oregon's 24, top 24 players on defense who have played the most snaps, nine of those 24 guys were not on the team last season or in the game mm -hmm. against, against Washington. They, they didn't play. That's a substantial number. Sure. So yeah. we are we are going to see real quick um, if Oregon's defense is legit or not and if these transfers are the reason why because they have upgraded across the board at all three levels and they're making impacts and this is the first real chance we're going to see if that happens or not. All right, so I'm the only one picking Oregon. Uh, that makes me feel great. Not really. Well, you should um, feel good because everyone's going to hate us in the comments and for the whole week on the website. So, <laughs> and we're going to hear about it a lot if Oregon wins, which I think is very much a possibility. Obviously, like I just genuinely really freaking mm -hmm. hard. If, if if Jared had gone first, I might have done the opposite just to avoid it being a majority against Oregon. But I've already said my pick. Fair enough. That's, That's fair lame. Enough. You got to go with your gut here. Yeah, I did. I did. can't switch votes on a majority. Got to go with it. <laughs> I did. I stuck with my gut. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Next time uh, you hear from us, we'll be atop Husky Stadium in a press box, hopefully uh, covering an exciting, fun, thrilling football game. Uh, and we'll be breaking it all down. Go to duckterritory.com for pregame, in-game, and postgame coverage. And until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.